0: Onto the science fiction story number one. Now debt is not forgotten. Written by Sebi Loki. Beams swept the morning dust from the front steps while listening to the warbling trills of the yum yum birds in the distance. It was due to be a good day, he thought. Morning dust storms had been mild, and the blue sun was low in the horizon. The promising sign that the midday heat with red sun would not be overwhelming. He might be able to tend to his garden vats without fear of the mud baking into stone. As he swept, he heard a sound of youngling's laughter. Ordinarily, this would be a welcome sign, but this laughter seemed to come from the vicinity of the Ma'avu hut. Leaning his double broom against the wall, Vems hopped down from the front step and onto the sandy path that led to the Ma'avu. The sand still held a slight chill from the night before. Vims knew this would not last. As the red sun rose, the white sands of the oasis would soon grow too hot even for the most hardened bare feet. Soon enough he would be forced to don slippers if he wished to escape the sanctuary of his hovel. Still, for the moment, he reveled in the sensation of the cool sands flowing over his foretoes as he walked. He found two younglings near the Vu, two males who were still soft-shelled. Their thoraxes were yellow and tender, with no hint of green tinting that would be present when their exoshell shell hardened. Perhaps three seasons separated them from their mother's pouch. The two did not see the elder Bacchanat approach them, however, as they were too focused upon holding the heavy canvas of the hut off the ground to create an opening between them. A moment after Vim's approach, a third youngling exited the hut through the opening created by the other two. As the third one crawled out, its dominant eyes spied Vim's. Its companions noticed their friend's hesitation and swiveled their lesser eye stalks in Vim's direction. Now, they all noticed the elder gazing upon them with a obvious of disapproval. The last youngling rose up and assumed a more dignified tripod stance. It lowered its head in submission. The other two dropped a flap of fabric and followed its example. The last youngling was younger, Beams noted, a season outside the pouch, perhaps. Too young for it to have developed a sex. However, his experienced eyes thought that it saw signs of bifurcation in the basal cleft, most likely, the one would eventually be a female. Weems said nothing for the time, drawing out the humiliation of being caught. They did not speak up at first. Such would be an insult to an elder. Despite evidence to the contrary, the youngest appeared to be well-behaved. Weems' anger softened as he recalled similar rites of passage in his old youth. "'You had dared to touch the monster,' he said at last while addressing the youngest. "'Yes,' "'It,' she replied simply, "'it had not been a question, but a youngling answered it anyway, "'neither denying the obvious guilt nor offering excuses. "'Good younglings, indeed. "'You know only science priests are allowed in the Ma'avu,' he continued. "'Yes,' she answered. "'Again, no defense,' he clicked his rear teeth. "'Disobedience and heresy deserved harsh words, "'but youth and curiosity were another matter.' If I take you inside, he said at last, and allow you to see that which is inside, will you be satisfied? All three took a step backwards in a unified shock. They had expected biting criticism or extra turns in the cleaning roster. An invitation inside seemed almost too promising. Beams dampened their enthusiasm before they grew too eager. This is not a reward, he clarified It is your punishment You will attend me inside and see the thing we keep there You will listen to me tell you its story And you will never think of this creature as a monster again After this day, if you wish to set foot inside the hunt again You will do so as a proper science priest's. Is that understood? All three clapped their forearms in assent Then follow me, he ordered He led them around to the side of the Ma'avu to the flaps that served as a proper opening for the hut. He was pleased to note that the fresh mud had been slathered along the length of the hut. It had been applied before sunrise by the novice priests so that the mud might saturate the cloth and leave it heavy before the heat of the day. The mud would help insulate the prize that they had held inside and would shield it from the shifting winds and the dust storms of the late day. The novices this year were promising perhaps one of them would be the saviour. Opening the flaps, he whisked the three younglings inside. They gaped openly at the dark interior with the musky odours. In the middle of the room had been a barrier that had been stopped their explorations before. The box-like structure of sun-baked bricks and mortar that formed an entrance to the heavens below. The gated doorway was barred and locked names beams ordered papanak said one of the other males and then waved at his companions mew and i'm Ka, the youngest spoke up it was the longest sentence the youth had uttered the name was a typical gender neutral syllable the mother was likely a traditionalist and would probably attach an appropriate modifier once the gender was known i am al the priest scientist beams. He declared, although it was probably unnecessary, as the younglings likely knew his name already. Still, he considered himself an educator and preferred to demonstrate proper forms of etiquette to the youth. To their credit, they bobbed their heads with respect after his introduction and waited for the four limbs below him to continue speaking. He was now grateful that he had not given in to his first instinct to punish the youths. If at least one of them did not join the priesthood after this, he'd eat his own thorax malts. He silently led them to the gated entrance and tapped a complicated sequence onto the black square. There was a hissing sound as pressurized pipes vented gas, causing the door to unlock and swing open. The younglings clicked their teeth in surprise. Good. Lowering his head to clear the low doorway of the structure, he waved at the youths to follow. ''Mind your feet,'' he warned. ''The stairs are here are treacherous.'' Indeed, it was only with long practice that he kept his own footing. The steps were narrow and steep. To walk down them, he often found it easier to hop his front legs forward and allow his rear legs to support the weight in lowering him. Awkward, yes, but they were less of a risk of falling.'' Today, however, he took the steps one at a time. It would not do to allow the youths to see him foolishly clumping down the sacred stairs like a beast. The youths followed his example, but they kept one forelimb on the wall for balance. The ceiling rose above him, which allowed him to finally rise to his full height. The walls were a strange mosaic of bare metal set in natural stone walls. The air and the metal stairs beneath his feet were cold all year long, regardless of the position of the suns above or the season. He now almost wished that he had retrieved his slippers. They descended down the winding stairs, and, uh, as they did, the walls featured fewer patches of stone and more plates of metal. One of the youths spoke up, "'This metal is not copper or iron.' The youngling, Mew, nearly shouted. The others were aghast at the preach of etiquette, but, uh, once more, Weems forgave this. Weems had trained many adults who were nowhere near as so observant. Indeed, Weems agreed, it is not one of the known metals. Some of our priests believe it to be a mixture metal. A mixture metal? Carr asked. How does one mix metals? By eating them until they are liquid, Weems replied. The younglings paused to gaze more at the foreign metal as well as the mind-bending concept of mixing metals. "'How do you make a fire that hot?' Carr asked. "'What could you hold it in?' "'Questions were our answering,' he replied. "'We have some encouraging results, building some that we call a blast furnace, a furnace of heavy iron and stone where we blow air across the fire and bellows. The technology is still in the early phases, however.' But we believe it is promising perhaps something used by the lost age emboldened by weems's frank answer to his companion's questions it was Papanak's turn to speak up the lost age is a myth he declared weems felt a pang of sadness in hearing this no child he answered softly it is not then it's true he asked that we once walked between the stars Yes, Beams agreed, as the aching legs finally found the metallic floor at the bottom level of the hut. And we did many other amazing things as well, as far as our scientists can tell. In fact, this world was not always our home. Perhaps that is why we seem so poorly suited for it. Poorly suited, Carr asked. How can a home not be our real home? Beams paused. He could tell her of their findings, the fossil records that showed no animals of similar biology to their own, or that on a world of vast deserts and alkaline oceans, their species was forced to cling to existence near only a handful of oases, hiding from the scorching heat of the day in their tiny hovels and venturing out only in the early morning hours or late evening before the dust storms arrived. But could a child see it even then? They a kind was uninvited and barely tolerated guest upon the desert planet. A transplanet invasion species forced to fight to maintain the barest semblance of subsistence. Could the child understand that everything it she had known fairly screamed were that they were in the wrong place for their kind? Probably not. It had taken him many years of study before he finally could face the obvious. So instead of answering, he walked to the middle of the chamber and touched another black square. The square was along the side of a metal cylinder that dominated the middle of the room. As he touched it, the lights in the room dimmed and the cylinder split open. The metal slid noiselessly into the floor revealing a tube of bubbling liquid that the metal had been shielding. The children retreated towards the walls of the room. He did not scold them for doing so. His reflexive reaction to seeing the tube of liquid had been much the same at first. There was no apparent container to hold the liquid back. It seemed just to collapse and spill to the floor, yet it held its shape. He tapped at it for a while and to demonstrate why, it was rewarded with a solid thumping sound. It is surrounded by something like a clear rock, he explained. You can see through it, but it is solid... How is that possible? Carr asked. We do not know, Beems confessed. We get something similar when lightning strikes the desert, but it is not clear and it is only in a misshapen lumps. The ones before seem to know a way of purifying and making larger containers of the material. The children approached reluctantly but did not challenge Beems' remark or the idea of the last age. The last age, he went on. Could do much that we still do not understand Not just how to walk between the stars But even smaller things about how they could make this invisible wall Emotion welled up inside of him And he found the next words difficult to speak As if they had grown barbs and were sticking in his throat This, he said with finality as he waved at the container of liquid Is the monster that younglings hear rumors of The younglings pressed closer and looked at the invisible tank Near the bottom were bubbles where the densest they saw of the creature. Weems swiveled the lesser eyestalk to gauge their reactions. Horror greeted him, yes, but they also appeared to be curious as well. The creature was damaged. That much was obvious if one was not familiar with the physiology. The limbs were mismatched for one thing. The top pair of limbs ended abruptly in charred bone. One just below the midway joint and the other just above it. One lower limb was mostly intact, but the flesh upon it was tattered and crisscrossed with angry red lines. The other lowered limb was shattered into a shapeless pulp. The chest had skin torn away and chunks exposing white bones that formed in a cage over the internal organs. Worse of all was the head. Flesh hung in limp streams that twisted and flattered with the rising bubbles. It made the head look like it had tassels on the one side. The other side was burned black with bubbles of infected flesh crowding around the eyes and across the ruined mass of the nose. Other than those bits of skin disturbed by the passing bubbles, the figure did not move. It simply lay there on the bottom of the tank. It was Carr that spoke first. "'It's so small,' she said. "'Indeed, if the creature had been intact, it would have been scarcely even larger than a sexless youngling, smaller than Papanak for certain.' Beams would have been almost twice its height Yes, Beams said They were a small species But a powerful one all the same Who were they? You asked Fellow travelers between the stars Beams explained Ones we met out there Ones who allied themselves against the emptiness Perhaps catching his tone The younglings turned their attention away From the mangled creature in the tank And regarded the elder scientist priest What is the emptiness? Pepperneck asked an excellent question, Feeves said, which I have no good answer for. After the last age, we were left here abandoned, broken, our technology left in ruin. While we believed there was a written language, the agents seemed to keep their written words stored in a place that we cannot access. Like a library? Youngling asked. Yes, the scientist-priest agreed, but one too small for us to read. They had a tool for reading the text, we believe, a tool that broke apart when we crashed here. Crashed here? Weems cursed himself. He was here to tell these younglings' history, and here he was doing the data in the incorrect tidbits. If he did not start at the beginning, they'd never understand. He waved at the tank once more. This creature is a human he explained. They're all gone now. They lived with our ancients, shared bread with them. They were our friends. When the emptiness arrived, well, we don't know exactly what it was. The survivors who created our society on this world were scarce and badly injured. They tried writing down what they could to make sure that we did not lose everything, but there was so much and none of them could reference their own texts. It was partially guesswork. And the last generation of the lost age perished, our link to that we once had was gone. He took a deep breath before continuing. But this we do know from the history passed down through the priesthood. He said, we know there was a war against the emptiness. The emptiness was not a people or a thing, but another creature, an ancient and powerful thing, something the Lost Age described as a devourer of stars and planets. It found the humans and the Brockanut, and, uh, like hundreds of others before it, yet decided to consume us. The youngling shifted nervously. "'But we lived,' Carr pointed out. "'We did,' the priest agreed. "'We lived because someone slew a creature that was supposed to be immortal.' "'Who did?' "'A hero?' Of sorts, the priests agreed and swiveled the lesser ice-stalks towards the tank. But not just one hero, an entire people who could not stand by as their friends were devoured. They flung themselves upon the giant and attacked and attacked. Though the stories say the wounds they inflicted were like bites of the smallest of insects, they never faltered. The humans fell in waves. Though there were others like us Other kinds who walked between the stars Where others fled The humans stayed and fought They stayed And they died We stayed with them as they were our friends Why did they not run as well? Earbeams hesitated The ancients say that there was nowhere for us to run to He said at last They claimed that we were a young race The humans not much older the others, who tread between the stars, did so a much swifter feat. When the emptiness arrived, they could flee. We were left behind to die as we could not outrun it. Pepernak seemed to think about this. Could they not fight as well? They could, Beams agreed. They chose to flee, to leave us to our fate. The ancients believe that they are still out there, fleeing and unaware that the emptiness perished perished at the hands of the younger and weaker race that could not flee. How did the humans slay the emptiness? Mew asked. Beams looked at the tank with all of his eyes. The emptiness went towards their home world, he explained slowly, intent on devouring it. They tried to stop it. When they realized they could not only allow it to pass, they evacuated their world and set a trap instead. What sort of trap? The younglings persisted. One they caused their sun to detonate and destroy the planet of their birth, Beams admitted. Their home, their history, a world that has sheltered them until they were old enough to leave its embrace. They sacrificed all of it for the good of both of us. And that killed it, Mew asked. No, Beams admitted, merely weakened it. But while it was injured, they pounced, swooping in and cutting again. And again, in its fury, it dealt one last blow before dying. Its final attack scattered us. Some of us crashed here. Yeah. Humans, who were closer, perished entirely. Now, it was Car who spoke up. So this human is dead, she asked. Yes, Beam said, and at the same time, no... When their crafts were damaged and the humans destroyed, a small number crashed on this world with us. This facility was as well as a hundred more across the planet. All housing damaged humans like this one. The ancients salvaged what they could from their own craft as well as the humans. They assembled it and set it to one goal only, to preserve the damaged specimens exactly as they were, to keep them safe. Why? Carr asked. Because... We owe them, Beams declared. The ancients knew that we would lose much, and it would take us generations to once more become what we were. Until then, we, the priesthood, will stand watch over the remnants of the noble beings until we once more learn how to help them, and help them we shall. They were our friends. The priest placed his double-thumbed hand against the tank, Though he did not realize that he was mimicking a gesture that his species had adopted from another. A species that should have been long dead, but, thanks in part to the ingenuity of a handful of battered survivors in the distant past, was still awaiting an eventual resurrection. Our debt will not be forgotten, he whispered this promise to the body floating within the tank. A moment later, he heard the words echoed as three of the others touched the side of the tank as well. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.